By now, you likely know where I'm turning. And for the last time, why don't you turn with me to the Gospel of John, where there's a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment as I bring to you the last message uh, for our series in the Gospel of John. I remind you that this writer is a bit of a maverick in that 90% of the material that he provides for us in this gospel is different than the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, including the 21st chapter. And if you've read through, and hopefully you were here last week, the end of John chapter 20, you might ask yourself, why is it necessary to have a 21st chapter? Because as we end John 20, Jesus appears to multiple people. And then in verses 30 and 31, there's this wonderful summary of this gospel. Some have thought, why not just lop it off there? Some scholars have even questioned whether John wrote chapter 21. But I think he did, and I think any um, one that studies it closely would agree, and that there is one particular reason why John 21 is written. Because there's this lingering question that is left hanging. Whatever happened to Peter? This outspoken, brash, confident leader had blown it, and he had blew it big time. There he he boasted in Matthew 26, verse 33, though they all, referring to the disciples, though all, they all will fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And we read in the verses that follow that Peter denied Jesus three times. One of those times with an oath, and another one of those times using curse words. What does Jesus do with a person that has blown it as big as Peter did? Does he fire them from ministry? Or is there a place for people that have fallen flat, made a fool of themselves, strayed, and done so publicly. I would remind you that Peter had a good friend named John, the writer of this gospel. And yes, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but I can't help but think there's a personal touch here that says, let me just share with the reader how that story ended between Peter and Jesus. Let us consider now John chapter 21, and we'll just continue in the format that we typically do. It's my responsibility as pastor to feed you, so let me feed you the scriptures today, looking at verse 1 of John 21. After this, that is, after Jesus appeared to Thomas, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself 
in this way. Now, why were the disciples near the Sea of Tiberias? By the way, that's the same sea as the Sea of Galilee. Those two titles were used interchangeably. Tiberius was the second Roman emperor, and he had a magnificent pad or palace there on the sea, and sometimes that sea was called Tiberius. Why were they there in Galilee? Well, in Matthew 28, verse 10, when Jesus rose from the dead, he greeted the women there, and he told the women, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Now, who is it that is with the disciples that day? Look at verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which would have included James and John, John, the writer of this gospel, and two others of his disciples were together. Now, what is it that they do when they get to Galilee? Verse 3 says, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And that's a good thing to do while you're waiting on Jesus. Let's return to an area of strength, of proficiency for Peter. Because you remember that his family, as well as James and John, were fishermen. And so they decide, let's, let's go out And while we are waiting for Jesus, why don't we go fishing? Now, there are many Bible teachers of whom I esteem and respect that conclude here that what Peter is doing by saying, I'm going fishing, is he is turning his back on ministry. As if to say, I don't know what my future is anymore, but I know what my past is, and that was pretty good. I'm going back. I'm reverting back to my life before Christ. I'm not sure if that's the case. And I'm not certain that it is wise to to come down so heavy on that position. All I know is this, that he says, I want to go fishing. And according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, for who knows a person's thoughts except that spirit of that person which is in him. Only Peter knew his motives when he said, I want to go fishing. And so it's not my intention this morning to press too hard on this thought that what he wanted to do was abandon the ministry and go back to the fishing business. I'm just going to take it at face value. He wanted to go fishing. I want to go fishing, actually, right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's not a bad thing to do. He says, I'm, I'm going fishing. They said to him in verse 3, we will go with you. It speaks of the influence that even though he's denied Jesus three times, he's fallen flat, he is still listed as the first of the disciples there in verse 2. And he says, I want to go fishing. And these other guys say, well, We want to go fishing too. They went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Now, if I go fishing, and I did earlier this week on Tuesday, I took a few of our boys, 
And we went early in the morning with our canoe into a river, and we didn't catch anything. Now, that's not unusual for us as people that do that for a hobby or as a novice. But it is unusual for professional fishermen that they would spend an entire night and not catch anything. I think there's an official word for that. It's called skunked. That's exactly what they experienced. They had casted all evening long their nets. And every time they brought those nets back, they were completely empty. Speaking from experience of fishing a long time and not catching anything, that can be very discouraging. It can get you thinking, what else could I be doing? And if you're doing it in the middle of the night... You're thinking, I'm giving up on some sleep time right now. What am I doing out here? Verse 4 tells us, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Now there's two different possibilities as to why they did not recognize Jesus. One would be a spiritual Because there were a couple of different occasions after Jesus raised from the dead that people did not recognize him. We read that last week of Mary Magdalene in John 20, verse 14. We also read that in Luke chapter 24 of two disciples on the road to Emmaus, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. There's something to be said maybe about spiritual blinders not being able to see. But those of you who've gone fishing in the early morning know that there's also another possibility, and that is a physical reason. Sometimes the air temperature is significantly different than the water temperature, and that causes what? Fog, that's right. Last September, I took a few of our boys up to northern Wisconsin, uh, north of Manaqua. We had our own little camping and fishing trip. We'd get up early in the morning. I was using a canoe. They were using some borrowed kayaks. And as we went out onto this lake, I could not see beyond 50 yards where they were. Or if I could, all I could see was their silhouette. And so as they look over at Jesus on shore, they do not know that it is him. And it could be that it was foggy or that there was a heavy mist in the air that day. Verse 5 says, Jesus said to them, children, another word for that is lad, do you have any fish? Do you think he knew the answer to that question? He certainly did, but he was having them come clean. (laughs) And they answered him, no. That's a very common thing for fishermen as they see one another on the shoreline. Or out in the boat, they'll ask one another, have you caught anything? In verse 6 it says, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now what was this boat like? I think it was very similar to the boat that Highland Crest paid to have built for our friends in Senegal. It might have been about 25 feet long and about 7 to 8 feet wide. I want you to think about this strategy for a little while. Evidently, they've been casting all evening on the left side of the boat. 
And now Jesus is saying, why don't you cast on the right side of the vote? About a seven to eight foot difference. Do you think that has anything to do with just the, the, the seven to eight feet of why they would catch fish? Or do you think it had something to do with just simply obeying Jesus? And this is what it says then. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now let's get this now. They had spent the entire evening with multiple casts, one right after the other, wearing themselves out in their own strength to catch fish. And they don't catch one. And then Jesus comes and says, here's what I want you to do. Just cast on the right side of the boat. And there is so much fish there that they, could, they can hardly bring it in. Verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved, we know by now that that is John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was, he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Just to go over a little bit of the wardrobe that he might have been wearing at that time, he may have been stripped down to his shorts, his undergarments. And upon seeing Jesus on shore, he puts on his robe. Now, why in the world, if you're going to jump in the water, would you put on a robe to stay warm? Well, that wouldn't work. I suspect it had to do with modesty. You're not going to jump in and swim and approach Jesus in your in your underwear, right? So he puts on his robe, clothing himself to meet Jesus. It says there in verse 8, the other disciples came to the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but out about a hundred yards off. And when they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it. And when we think of Jesus, we know him to be Lord, we know him to be Savior, we know him to be Messiah, but we're reminded when we see this in verse 10 that he is also servant. It is recorded there in Mark chapter 10, where Jesus said of himself, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not only did Jesus serve his disciples before the cross, washing their feet, but he would also serve his disciples after the cross. And sometimes within the church, I hear people say, I've been serving in the church my whole life. Now it's time for someone else to step in. I'm just telling you, that was not the attitude that Jesus had. Jesus said, whoever would be great among you, must be your servant. Verse 11, So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now what's the significance of this number, 153? When you study this, there are an assortment of theories. My favorite is from a man named Jerome. 
And he said that at this time there were 153 known species of fish. And what this means is that that Jesus is sending his disciples out as fishers of man for all the nations. And there's a assortment of other theories that are offered as to why the word 150 is provided. And I think I'm right when I say this. Is the reason for 153 is because there was 153 fish, right? And it once again, this is how fishermen talk. How did you do? I was uh, talking with my stepdad earlier or later part of last week, and he said, I'm going fishing on Tuesday through Friday with my, my brother Kenny, which in and of itself is an entertainment for, for sure to be with those two. And later this week, he texted me with a daily report from Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, chronicling for me the number of fish they caught and what species they were. I mean, this is how fishermen talk. And if you're going to take that fish to the market, well, then you want to know how many fish there are. One researcher said that the average fish on the Sea of Galilee was between one to two pounds. And I will remind you what it says here. These were large fish. These were Bill Chaya kind of fish here, right? And so if there are two pounds, kids, help me out, and there's 153 fish, how much do you think that weighed? A lot. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. 306? 306 pounds. Would you notice who hauls those fish up? Did you see it there? Verse 11, So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore. Could we say that this was a strong man? Could we say he was a dude? to be able to do that. But what is also remarkable is that the net did not tear at all. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. In verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. Does that ring a bell at all? (laughs) In verse 13, where Jesus fed the 5,000, Men, fish, and, and bread, as well as their, their wives and their children. Verse 14, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now that's a memorable breakfast. I'm not sure if you've had a breakfast like that outside. I was thinking back years ago when my wife and I were either serving as chaperones or we were leading our student ministry. And there were times where we would go with Expeditions Unlimited down by Devil's Lake near their Baraboo. And one of the things we would do is we'd take this canoe ride. We'd go down the Wisconsin River. And all the youth would go and we'd go down the Wisconsin River and then we'd pull up on a sandbar. And it's there where we would set up tents. We would have supper there and nestle in for the evening. And then the next morning we'd have breakfast right there on a sandbar on the Wisconsin River. That was memorable. Well, this meal itself is memorable too. 
In fact, I think it could be argued, while many would say that there are seven signs in the Gospel of John, I think you could add an eighth with this one here. But that's not all that took place that morning. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, why do you think that Jesus, when he identified Simon, he doesn't call him Simon Peter? In our room this morning, I'm sure many of you know the answer. What does the name Peter mean? Rock. Stable. Dependable. Steadfast. As Jesus addresses Simon, he does not call him Rock. Why? Because he's been anything but stable recently. Instead, he just refers to him as Simon, which means hearer. And he asked them this question, do you love me more than these? Now, the question is, what is these? He could be looking over his shoulder and identifying the boats and all the fishing equipment. And there are times where that question needs to be asked, amen? Do you love me more than all this fishing equipment? On a Sunday morning in March or April as the walleyes are running on the Fox River and you're driving over the 172 bridge and you see literally a hundred boats out there, that question would be relevant on a Sunday morning, right? Now, the word these could be referring to something other than fishing equipment and probably more likely is referring to the disciples. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the disciples? Because I want to remind you, Peter, what you said earlier, now I'm quoting from Matthew 26, verse 3, you said, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. All these other disciples are not dependable, but you can trust me, the rock. I'll be steadfast. I will be dependable. So do you love me more than these disciples? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourselves and walk wherever you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you wherever you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. As we look at this passage, let me just offer a few summary statements there. 
you'll notice that he has asked three different times, do you love me? This is a key word as it talks about the Christian life. It's not about offering sacrifices. It's not even about your dry obedience. But what Jesus really is interested in is do we have a love for him? You'll notice that he has asked three different times the same question. Why? Because he denied Jesus three times. And if you dig into the Greek, many of you already know this. When Jesus asks, do you love me? He's using the Greek word agape, which is that God-like love. But in each time that Peter responds, he says, you know I love. He's not using the word agape, but that friendship sort of love named phileo. It's as if Peter's saying, I'm giving you everything I got. My devotion. Yeah, I, I do love you. And would you notice how Peter's love is to be expressed? It's to feed my lambs. The word lamb there in verse 15 is what we think of the nursery rhyme of Mary. Mary had a little lamb. That's, that's a, a vulnerable, a baby lamb. But the word changes a little bit in verse 16 and verse 17. It's not a lamb, rather it's a sheep. It's an older, more experienced. Clearly, Jesus is not speaking here of being a farmer and intending to literal sheep and lambs in a pasture. Rather, he is speaking of the office of pastor. And he is saying to Peter, you will have a responsibility to feed the people of the church. Feed them with the scriptures. Peter himself would write later in 1 Peter 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter, I'm giving you this responsibility to feed the people of the church with the scriptures. And in that church, there are going to be people that are new in the faith. They are vulnerable. They are weak. And they're going to be also more experienced ones. Considering what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. This is not only Peter's responsibility, but it's to all pastors It's their responsibility as well to feed, to take the scriptures, to read them, to explain them to the people within the church. But the responsibility does not lie there, loved ones. You also need to feed yourself. And you need to be taken in the scriptures throughout the week as well. I want us to conclude our passage then by looking at 20. Through 25. In verse 18, Jesus has informed Peter what kind of death he would die. He said, you'll be stretching out your arms. You'll be clothed with the cross. I think that is what that means. He concludes it in verse 19 by saying, follow me. And he said this to him before. But this time, 
May you really follow me, Peter. And then there is this conversation between Jesus and Peter that relates to the author of this gospel. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciples whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him toward the supper, and it said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? We take this to mean John. Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know this testimony is true. Now, there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let me just leave this passage and leave this book by giving you three just summary statements, and they all begin with the letter R. I think we see from this passage that we are to remain in Jesus. This chapter, chapter 21, seems to offer flashbacks to different experiences and different teachings that we see in the Gospel of John as well as other Gospels. Think of this with me. The disciples go out, they try to go fishing, they fish all evening, and yet they have no fruit to bear as a result of that. Jesus shows up on the scene, says, why don't you cast your net on the right side? And instantly there's 153 fish caught. That seems to be an illustration of John 15, verses 4 and 5, where Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, and whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The disciples had wearied themselves out by fishing all evening, and they have nothing to show for it. And then they follow Jesus' instructions. And there was more fish than they could haul. And then there was this interesting statement that the net was not torn. When we remain in Jesus, we bear fruit. And that fruit will last. This passage illustrates again the importance of staying connected with Jesus. We use this word abide. Jesus used that word in John 15 of allowing the Word of God, to dwell within us. Not just on Sunday morning, not just throughout the mornings, but throughout the day to be meditating on these truths, applying them. In addition, by praying, depending on Jesus in all the areas of our lives. It's been an unusual weekend for us. 
Our, my sweet wife went up north on Friday. And uh, so I've been spending time with the boys, and they're just an absolute blessing to me. And now that they're older, it's so much easier than it used to be. They're, they're, they're independent, and so we did some things, and we had some fun. But, but I also have a sermon to prepare for, so Saturdays is typically already a long day. And then we have two boys that have type 1 diabetes, which also keeps things fresh for us. One of our boys, um, it's not unusual for his little device not to work properly. And so last night, as the other boys went to bed, the, the little guy, he's, he's going to stay with me in bed because he's such a sound sleeper that if his alarm goes off, he won't hear it. And that could be a problem that says that he is going really low in his blood sugar. And so finally fall asleep. And all of a sudden, beep, 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 beep. It's, and it's alarm to suggest that his blood sugar is really low. But as we look up at the device, we find out that it's malfunctioning. And we don't even know if we can trust what it's telling us, the reading. So I say, buddy, what we're going to need to do is poke your finger. And so he pokes his finger, and sure enough, it wasn't accurate with by what it was reading. And now I'm going through this in my mind. I've got so much to do yet. I've got so much, when I wake up in the morning, so much to finish off here. There's other responsibilities I have. If there's one night in the week that I need a good night's sleep, it's Saturday night. And I don't know if I'm going to get much sleep at all. But then this thought comes to my mind. You don't worry about sleep. Why don't you just abide in me? And, and it, it won't be a problem if we spend a little more time together this evening, Chad. And you know what? By the grace of God, I received that. And I said, all right. All right. Evidently, I need to be praying about some things that are going on. I need to be praying over this message more. And as I was praying about this idea of abiding, I was convicted that there were other things that I was abiding in more than Jesus. And right there as I was laying in bed, I was able to confess those sins to him. So this abiding is not something that takes place only on Sunday morning, but sometimes in the middle of the night we can do this. We are to carry his word with us. So that's the first thing I think we see is remain in Jesus. The second thing I think we see in this passage is we can be restored by Jesus. I don't know if any of you picked up on this when I read this, but there in, in, in John 21, verse 9, when they got out on the lamb, they saw a charcoal fire in place. As we were doing our family devotion last night, I asked the boys, I said, boys, can you think of any other place where you read the words charcoal fire? And one of them said, yeah. That's what the people were gathered around when Peter denied Jesus. I'm like, praise the Lord. Good job. You're exactly right. In John chapter 18, I think it's verse 18, that's exactly where it is. And do you think there's any sort of coincidence that when Peter comes out of the boat, that there is a charcoal fire that awaits him? 
It's as if Jesus is bringing him back to say, I I haven't forgotten. But before you can be restored, we need to be reminded of what you have done in order that you can confess that. I'm wondering if there's anyone else as we were covering John 21, if you had this thought, hey, this isn't the first time we heard this sort of story. We not only hear it at the end of Jesus' life and ministry, but didn't we hear a similar story at the very beginning of Jesus' life and ministry? And didn't that also involve Peter? Yes. In Luke chapter 5, you probably remember that was when they were kind of organizing these boats. So there was a massive crowd on shore, and the acoustics were better, where, where Jesus could get in the boat, he got in Peter's boat, and preach to the crowd, and they could hear him. And at the end of that, in verse 4 of Luke 5, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. In other words, preacher, how about you stick to preaching and us fishermen will stick to fishing? But at your word, I will let down the nets, verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Do you remember Peter had another response towards Jesus? What did he do? Do you remember? He fell, didn't he? Verse 8 says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord, And that's a pattern that we see throughout scriptures. When man, woman comes in the presence of holiness, they fall on their knees. But Peter has a very different response in John 21. Why? I think it's because he knows who Jesus is. And he quickly jumps in the water, swims the hundred yards to him, and he can be restored. I find this picture of Jesus preparing a breakfast while the the men are out in the boat very refreshing to know that he is just waiting to restore Peter. And loved one, he is just waiting to restore you as well. Peter needed to be humbled. But Peter also needed to be restored. The great Puritan Richard Sibb said this, There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Finally, we want to remain in Jesus, be restored by Jesus, but be real in Jesus. Over the last couple of chapters of the Gospel of John, it would be worth doing a little study of comparing and contrasting Peter and John. We could... We could reach back into Matthew, and it's there where we read that it is Peter who is first to identify Jesus as the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But over the last few chapters, we see John as the one. Yes, he abandoned Jesus at first, but then he comes back, and he is present during the trials. He is present at the foot of the cross. It is John 
that is the first to get to the empty tomb. But we read last week, he is also the first to realize that the reason the tomb is empty is because Jesus has been raised to life. It is also John, as he sits in the boat, and he looks over to shore and says, It is the Lord. And we contrast that with Peter. He's a man of action. He is the one who is quick to speak. He is the leader, unquestioned leader of the disciples. But he not only abandoned Jesus, but he never came back. And he wasn't the first to identify that Jesus had been raised to life, nor was he the first to realize that that was Jesus on the shore. And I think when we go through a time of discouragement, it's natural for us to compare ourselves to one another. And so what we see there in verse 21 is, Lord, what about this man? In verse 22, Jesus says to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. There is this freedom that we have when all we have to do is be ourselves. We see that John and Peter complement one another in their giftedness and in their personalities, and may I say in their Gospels, where John is the author here of the Gospel of John, but many believe that it is Peter that gave the material for the Gospel of Mark to be written. Aren't you thankful for the diversity that there is in the church. This is probably what led Peter to write in 1 Peter 4. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By the way, whatever became of this Peter? That's where we began. We needed John 21 to find out that he was restored. Well, what did that restoration look like? Two chapters later in Acts chapter 2. Who is it that God appoints to deliver the first sermon of the church? 3,000 souls were converted to following Jesus that day. And when it was time to open the door to the non-Jews or to the Gentiles, what disciple does God appoint? It is Peter. It is Peter that confirms that the gospel is also for the Gentiles. This morning, I remind you that Jesus still restores people. Have you found yourself weary? Have you found yourself having blown it? Have you found yourself falling flat on your face? Look at this passage today to see that God doesn't fire you, rather he restores you. And it could be the best days are still ahead of you. And what have you been abiding in? Have you been abiding in Jesus and his word, or are there other things that seem to be controlling you? Return to his word 
return to just this ongoing prayer. And as you look around yourself, are you able to, or are you free in, in who God has made you? Realizing just as Peter was different than John, you will be different than other people within your church family. You have different spiritual gifts. You have different personality. You have different passions and different abilities. Do you know what those are? And are you serving out of them? If not, on our website, there's something called the Shape Inventory. Scroll down. You can fill that out. You can learn more about how God has shaped you. Just this past week, one of the young men I was visiting with said, I filled that out. Man, was that freeing to learn. Now I understand better how I can just maximize how God has made me. And not only are you sensing a need perhaps to be restored, but I would ask you, are there people in your life right now that have wavered that have wandered, and they could use a word, a word of restoration. I close with what James said and how James closed his book. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner for his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. As the music team comes, I want to extend an invitation to you. Hopefully a very encouraging passage to you that's more than just a breakfast at sea. But there was something that took place after that breakfast where Jesus said to one who had blown it, I'm not done with you. There's so much more productive ministry I have for you. Come. Come and receive the forgiveness. Come and be restored. As we sing this song of invitation, the altar is here available to you. And Who cares what other people think? Not only that, but perhaps as you've heard this message, you know of some people that have wandered away. May the Lord put them on your heart now and maybe you would want to come and, and, and pray for them. Perhaps you'd just be reminded today of how beautiful it is to remain in Jesus and say, this is what I I aim to do in the rest of this day and the week ahead. Allow your word to dwell within me. Allow me to continue on in prayer. I know what it's like to work in my own strength and it is fruitless. There's no catch in that. I want to follow your anointing. I want to follow your leading. I want to follow you as I abide in you. And you would come and say, this is is why I want to come to pray. This is how I want to live. Would you stand with me? And as the Lord leads, you respond.